Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna R. Gore, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. So um, I greet you today on another uh, Saturday morning. Uh, welcome, everyone, uh, across the land, whether you're listening live or on the archives. Um, we encourage you to um, listen live or to um, listen to our many, many archive shows that are now in the hundreds on the Inside Lens Radio Network. So it's always a pleasure to, to have you, and we do try to repeat them as often as possible. Um, today, I'm so pleased to um, showcase a different side of missing persons, shall we say. Um, there are a plethora of people who are missing in, this, in the, in the um, realm of being um, unidentified or not knowing their true identity. And that's what we're going to focus, focus on today. Um, but before we, we bring in our esteemed um, guest, I want to say good morning, Delilah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think this is a very important topic for us to um, talk about, number one, just because we have not done it. And we need to bring this issue out of the shadows, don't we? Exactly. This is this is actually the second person that I've had contact with that has a situation similar to that. That they were abducted as a young child and searching for their birth parents. And there's so many unanswered questions, as I'm sure um, our guest will touch on. So I, I think it's a very important topic. I think there are a lot more people out there in this situation that we don't know about. And because it's a very good possibility they don't know what resources are available for them. They don't know how to go about even starting the process. And and I'm sure that there are, has been a lot of trauma for them over the years, especially, you know, some the other person that I know was in a very traumatic situation for most of her young life. Um, so, and I also wanted to just make mention that, both of us are, are affiliated with Q Center for Missing Persons out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and they do have a Find My Way Home project, which is another resource that I will put out there. Um, there's many resources as you can be a part of. I think it's never too many. Absolutely. I think that's um, that's wonderful for us to be able to uh, publicize because I was not um, fully aware of that resource, so I think it's good that we we get it out there. So, with without further ado, I'm very excited to introduce S. Monique Smith Dash Person. She is a she is a person in her own right. She's very accomplished, um, even though she does not know biologically um, her parents. She has created a life and an, an identity 
all of her own and and um very you know she um has been a very impactful advocate she is a wife she is a mother she is an entrepreneur in a male dominated business she is a mentor she is an author and and a public speaker so she's just as busy as lady justice and um so we connect on many many levels um so, um, Monique, uh, it is so it is such a delight to have you as part of our Shattered Lights Radio family. Welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about um, having an opportunity, having this platform to um, share some information with your um, audience, to the listeners, uh, just to help and engage and have them learn a little bit more about how two they can um help with recovery of missing missing children and missing adults. Absolutely. So um I, I think a good place to start is always to kind of um tell a story in this hour and we, we have many component parts of which we'd like to discuss. But um just so that people get get a, an understanding what are you really referring to when we say um, you don't know who you are and you are unidentified? So it, it is, is it always linked with abduction in one, in one sense or another? Just explain that a little bit, and then we can go into, into your, your background story. Um, to me, it, okay, so from that perspective, then no, it's not always about abduction it, when it comes to being unidentifiable, unidentified. You have a lot of situations where, um, you know, someone may have left the home as an adult, um, you know, just fed up with at home and became homeless and, you know, years may pass and families seek to look for them. So they're not that they were abducted. Um, but some people want closure. So there are several searches um, to help and assist whether or not that individual didn't make it to a shelter. Are they still alive? Um, are they just simply homeless? And they just really want to make contact to say if they are um, okay, just to keep the, the lines of communication open. So in that aspect of being um, unidentifiable or missing it when it's not related to an abduction, no, no. Okay, is are there other parameters in this scope that we're talking about besides those two situations? I know you're also an advocate um, for for missing children and and and, and trafficking as well. So just want to kind of paint the picture of what the what the scope is that we're talking about. Oh yeah, and it, well, there's there are so many scopes. I probably won't be able to touch on them all because, as you said right. before, like your show. It's all about learning and what we do along the way. Um, of course, other people that are unidentifiable are people that are from crime scenes. A lot of times the authorities do not have the person whom they may have had from a crime scene. No one may have came um, mm-hmm. ever, ever to claim the body. Um, so when people are missing, a lot of times they don't refer to law enforcement. They may check the hospitals but they may not check the, the morgue. They may not check NAMIS, which is a, a registry that has a national clearinghouse. So that's one piece. You have homeless people, um, again, whom, again, could have left home for multiple reasons or for mental illness. Two, um, their bodies are unidentifiable. They may have been found by um, a neighbor or someone in the community, law enforcement, 
under a park bench in a park, um, maybe uh, in an abandoned home. And for years, that that individual's information could be remained unidentified, which means they'll take the DNA, they'll take a picture. Um, so that's a classification. So there are so many levels of what is now known as unidentifiable people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that that clear that clarifies um, a bit for me. I think it's important to kind of in, introduce that. Um, you know, I, I think that what you went through um, is you know is is a a unique story, but it's also there. There are other people who have gone through this, but you you have chosen to share your story with the world and and become an inspiration for for change and advocacy. So, um, can can you give us an, an an overview with regard to the circumstances of how you um you knew at a certain point in time that. Uh, you didn't know who you were because it's it's rather unique in some ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, so in the beginning, life was uh, was normal, but it was really abusive. Um, when I say normal, you just have your know, relatives, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, you know, your your mom, your your dad. To me, that's normal, regardless of uh, how they nurture you, whether or not it was abuse or not abuse. So to me, that was how life was in, in my earlier years. It just became, as I got a little bit older, things were, were different. My uh, self-awareness of who I who I was and what should not have been happening kind of took control, which was a, a great thing. I was able to kind of, you know, leave, try to live and design my own life by getting out of school and try to just live normal. And with that, trying to become normal, um, I was a graduate of Webb which is um, an entrepreneurial program, and it required me to be licensed and bonded. And, again, um, trying to live that normal life, I never realized I never saw my birth certificate. And there were times in my life that I asked about it. I inquired with the woman who raised me, and I would say, you know, in order for me to further my education or, you know, pursue my career, I need my birth certificate. And as a minor on the age of 18, I can't get it without her consent. But I was always met with, you know, a very abrasive tone, you know, the verbal abuse, and it just never dawned on me that why she was, you know, why that was, you know. And um, and, and to go back just a little bit, you were born in, in New York in the Bronx? I don't, I don't know where I was born. So that's, oh, okay. that's what, right. So the, 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 the doc, Yeah, no, 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 no. So in her attempt to create, uh, an identity for me. There's been documentation that I've gathered that reflects several states and several several years of birth and several names of for herself. So those things didn't happen until um, I didn't get those until later in life. Okay, so she tried to create this web of deception uh, or documentation that was purely false. So. It, it involved several states, you're saying. Well, can, exactly. I, excuse me for interrupting, but can go we go back to the beginning? Yeah. Um, I think for our own benefit and for the benefit yeah. of listeners following this story, can we go back to the beginning and just tell exactly what happened to you as a child? 
Um, okay, so you, you, it's two different beginnings that you're talking about because you can't go back to the beginning as a child. If you want to go back to unbeknownst to me as a child, if you want to talk about unbeknownst to me as a child growing up versus unbeknownst to me as an adult and discovering what happened as a child. So I well, can you definitely can give do us that. Both. You can give us both. <laughs> okay, so here's, okay, okay. So here's, okay, so here's the, let me, so, on the process where I was sharing about being a graduate of Webb, um, it would it forced me to be um, licensed and bonded, which means at that stage I had to then acquire all the documentation. So I went to the Department of Social Service, I, which I, and I hit all of the municipals, any area that this woman would have had to present documentation for me to get an education, to have a Social Security card. Um, those were the places that I retrieved the information. And again, unbeknownst to me, that she had falsified my whole life. Now, let me cut back into the childhood component of it. The abuse, I guess, and torment must have taken over her mindset because there was no love, there was no connection, there was no bond. And I think the her family, they knew that, but they did not know what this woman had done. So it wasn't that she had a relationship with them where she lived with them Monday through Friday and came to Sunday dinner, you know, um, at, at the family. No, it wasn't like that. She was living in a whole other state, and this is these are facts that I'm sharing with you. And her family resided here in Maryland. And out of the blue, she relocated from a state, and it could have been, you know, New York at the time. It could have been Texas at the time. When she came back, she came back with a child that could have been maybe three, which was myself. The family did not know that she did not conceive at that time. She's never had any children. So the family did not know that she could not conceive. She just showed up with this two- or three-year-old baby. You mean her and family, a, her biological family did not know that biological she was family. this charade um, exactly. You, know, you just you just appeared from somewhere, but you you as an infant in a were were you able to track that you were an infant in some hospital? Um, have you been no. able to go back and document that? No. No, I have not been able to document that. What I have been able to record and document is just to pull from archives the paperwork that she used, which means I was really shocked to see how many agencies, federal agencies, state agencies actually didn't force her to produce my identity. They just basically, she filled out paperwork and they issued her information. So there was no checks and balances. She could just make up all this stuff and go on her merry way. And I have documentation of it, which means I went and retrieved from archive the actual documentation from the Department of Social Service as well as uh, the Board of Education here in uh, Baltimore City. Yes. So that was alarming to me that, to me, those were role players. They aided in abetting. To me, if you are in a, a, a person who goes with a child at the age, and I think at this time I would have been assumed six or seven, and say, I need a Social Security card, and she fills out a form. I have a, the archive copy, the form, the documentation, presented it, they issue her a Social Security card. Ironically, two years later, and again, this is recorded and documented with the Department of Social Services, two years later she must have lost the cards. To retrieve another one, you have to fill out a form. No one realized, and I have documentation 
that in one year of 1974, the information completely switched in 1976. Her name changed, my name changed. Her date of birth changed, my date of birth changed. The, uh, the, the state in which I was supposed to be born changed, and hers did. So no one said to her, wait a minute, ma'am, we're trying to verify this information. It's not consistent. They, mm-hmm. they just gave her another card. I had the third attempt. Again, this time I went from being African-American to being other. I went from being, my last name being Terry, to being a Rodriguez, and I have documentation to support this. So, again, no one, to me, people who should have been focused and aware, they were sworn. This is their duty, their job, task, and function is to identify these individual proper documentation. And, and they did failed. this involve state and federal agencies and city or yes. city? What, what yes. jurisdictions are we talking about that you had to go through? I went through Maryland. This is where I've been since since she's had me in our care in the state of Maryland. Okay, this was all in the state of Maryland. Right. <clears throat> and the mm-hmm. documentation that she has reflects other states, like the Carolinas, like uh, New York. So there are other states that she's had on there. Now, when you mention jurisdictions, because New York was known, I mean, I'm sorry, noted in so many places, I probably investigated and researched so much that they they gave me a, I'm walking around right now with a seal, a raised seal from the entire state of New York that says, ma'am, please don't come back. We have checked every bureau, every area, every <laughs> police department, <laughs> right, every name, and I have the documentation, trust me. I, In mm-hmm. order for me to even have a National Center of Missing Exploited Children number, I'm 1201298. They are not going to release that information without me giving them valid information. I have a Maryland State Police Department record, which means I've attempted to have this lady arrested. But, again, I'm still building up most of my information just to be able to say what other steps can I get just to have her tell me who I am, Mm -hmm. where she got me from. Well, well, that's what I was wondering. Who is this ultimate con woman? I mean, you have and and has she, so obviously she hasn't been convicted of anything. She's just out there. She's just out there. She's uh, she's uh, she'll be seventy. Well, she just turned seventy four, and I know because I definitely have a copy of her uh, her information. So she just turned seventy four. She's never had any children. Her legal name, if I can say it, is S.L. Means, M-E-A-N-S, and she resides in Maryland, and her alias, one of her alias names is Kimnita Knowles, Kimnita Knowles. Mm -hmm. So, again, I wouldn't be able to receive, at the level of trust and and, um, assistance that I've been able to gain, it's all based on me presenting the documentation that I have from state agencies and registries. Well, what what do you theorize was was her was her motivation, and, and has do you think that she has done this to any any other person or child? Um, my known fact is I've been the only person since a child in her presence. Um, me myself, just just me. And I think theory is is that I've done so many case studies, I've read so many articles about this, and I've just 
I, I just, in my mind, I feel that she either tried to trap a man or just couldn't conceive and just was just that, psycho, to me, psychologically unbalanced enough to take another person's child. And we hear the cases, there's the, the two popular cases that we know about is Connellina Wright, who the woman had a miscarriage and she walked to the hospital and she stole a baby. And the same thing that happened with the Mosby case that just released where a woman wanted a child to keep the relationship and they stole a baby. So to me, this woman could not conceive. And she, I, my theory is, is that she walked away from a park, a playground, a grocery store, a, a daycare center, a hospital, somewhere in this country, this woman walked away from somewhere with me in her possession. So, so it was like a crime of opportunity, perhaps? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so why hasn't, is there any, is there besides what you're doing on your own to validate yourself because you have to live your life, is, are the police in Maryland trying to build evidence to convict this woman? Yes, yes. What's, going, have what's a, going on with that? Well, it's, you know, the information that they were able to build, it was, an, it was what I presented to them was strong enough for me to even have a case for them to review it. And when you start looking at other states being involved, they do respect the jurisdiction, again, as to what was out there. So they're filtering this stuff through. Now, here's the sad part about it. The other two young ladies that I mentioned, these things happened to them, like, when they were born, it was in the 80s. This was 1966, 65, or 67. Information wasn't as as strong as it is today versus what's going on back then. So my trail has been a bit So you were born sometime in the 60s. You're you're theorizing. Okay. Yes. And go ahead. 65, 1966, or 1967. So my search has been looking for families who have been looking for an an African-American female um, born in that time. So I look for articles or any links or leads that says missing or abduction or, you know, things of that nature, stolen, um, in hopes of finding someone that's out there right now looking for um, their child who is now an adult. Wow. It, it's incredible. Can, can you tell us how does, um, what, what does having no true identity um, do to your day-to-day life in, in practical terms? What does it deny you? I know we had talked, uh, you know, privately before we, we scheduled this show, and I was just appalled that, sort of how hamstrung you are in a lot of ways when you don't have your identity. How does it impact your daily life so that, that others know listening? Well, it's it's been very, very challenging. I've lost so many opportunities. Um, uh, in my earlier years, I applied for the police department and as a cadet, and I made it. I got the letter, and there's a huge celebration. Come to the next phase. You come to the next phase, you take the exam, and you score well and you get invited to come to the next phase. You go through the physical, and you're excited, and this is like a, a six- to eight-month process, um, mm-hmm. and you're getting documentation. You join the academy, you get in the academy, and you're so excited, and you're presented with, oh, my gosh, we checked your paperwork, and you don't have your 
the birth certificate. So we need that for you to proceed. So, you know, there's been things like that that hindered my ability to grow, but then there's other blessings where um, I've had opportunities to work for great companies, United Healthcare and John Hopkins. I just never told them that what I presented to them was what was given to me. So it, it wasn't that I would indicate, well, this information is really not me. Even it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not really who I am. No, it's, it's, this is my information. I fill out my application. I get a job. Now my fear is two $600,000 life insurance policies because my dumb self, I'm not dumb, but I'm not going to say dumb, but you don't think about these things at the time, is that you can't get the payout of a life insurance policy without a death certificate, and you don't get a death certificate without a birth certificate. Oh, without so a birth certificate. My children. Exactly. So all these years I'm paying the 20-year plan, the 15-year plan, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And then here's the sad part about it. My children have a false name on their birth certificate. Unbeknownst to me, each time I gave birth to one of my children, they come in with the documentation, I sign that name. So mm-hmm. who, where's the lineage? Where's the, where's my legacy? Where, where's the, the my ancestors? So, again, things were happening that did not trigger to me until I kept researching and working and researching and working. Um, so identity theft, I mean, not that I did it intentionally. <laughs> it's just, it's mm-hmm. new to people. It's how I lived and survived all these years. And I've been very fortunate. I've been very blessed. Um, I've done nothing illegal. Again, I present to everyone all of the materials that I've been, that I've been presented um, over the years. Um, but does it happen every time that you want to make a change or do a, um, create a new situation for yourself that you fear that you're going to be questioned and quote unquote found out? And how do you how do you get through that? Um, yeah, it was it was weird. It's weird for a while. It does get weird whenever I fit a challenge where someone has to like. Let me use this as a perfect example. My next challenge is coming up. Um, the, the country is switching over, especially Maryland is going to start really, relatively soon. It's your driver's license. Before, you could just turn in your old driver's license. You go in, do your eye exam, and they would just renew you for the next four years. The new way that it's being done is because of identity theft, 9-11, the immigration population is happening with false documentation. When I go renew, I will not be able to drive anymore because now I will be forced to produce a birth certificate. So your your ability to drive your car is going to be taken away in X number of years? Or if I don't know I how do, long right. If I do not continue to work towards getting some political support or some kind of documentation that's going to at least um, allow me um, a waiver, and that's my my current. Not, I'm not even going to call it a challenge. I'm going to call it a goal because again, um, I try to continue to work towards you know the next chapter of my life, and I have to do this until you know um, I die. You know, if I don't keep building this process for my children, uh, is that is that the best option? If you can't get the that that through legislative or political means you or law enforcement you get or government means you get a waiver is that your best hope of trying to establish something consistent 
That would be my goal. I've written letters. Um, you know, I've been writing um, buckets and buckets of letters. Like I said, I've been, you know, back in um, 1996, 1997. I mean, all the way up probably even to recent times. Oprah, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Jenny Jones, Ricky Lake, Murray Pogue. I mean, we've even taken busloads of people to Good Morning America so I could be featured on television and hope that somebody could see my face and, and hear my story and maybe identify me or know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Um, everything possible to, um, you know, and then here's the thing that will help a lot of people understand. I think after long-term missing, people don't search for us anymore. I think that, you know, me having a platform opportunity, and I thank you for having me on your show as well, is that all missing kids aren't dead. We're we're here. So the more cases that are revealed and the more stories that are shared and told, it's going to give the people with the power to be to say, you know what, if someone can bring enough valid information that reflects that, then we can produce a document for them. I can't even leave the country. Like, you know, my, you know, I, I can't get a passport. Mm-hmm. So if you had to, if you had to name the most important documents of all, and I think we all that are fortunate because we know who our birth parents are that we take for granted, would they be your birth certificate, your social security uh, card and, and a passport. What are the what are the most vital things that you are missing? I I just think the most vital, and I could remove the other two. It would be the birth certificate because you, you have to have that to even get the passport. You have to have mm-hmm. that generally to get a good you know to get your social security card. And then two, as I age, what if I'm challenged with having to produce who I am to get my benefits? Yeah. So the birth the birth certificate is um is the key. It's the primary document that that's known. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that's it, it's needed. It's a requirement. Well, is there? I have to believe that because there's so many other people out there in other circumstances, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, you know, you're getting yourself out there. You're hoping someone will see you. You're hoping they will. See they will be looking for you, whoever your parents are. Is there is there um, power in numbers? So explain to us the different types of activities and organizations that you have formed and are involved with to try to push this, I don't know if movement's the right word, but these initiatives forward, Monique. What, because you have done some amazing things and, and also let us know, you know, you're head of the, the Maryland Minority Contractors Association and, and a very male-dominated, um, you know, talk about picking a hard profession, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about, you know, those, those other organizations you're involved with and, and what you're currently doing. You've got your hand in a lot of different initiatives here. It's inspiring. Yeah. You know, they've been a blessing to me. Um, the organizations that I've been very fortunate to volunteer with and to be an advocate for and raise funding um, to allow resources to go to the victims. So places uh, like Angels of Addiction that does street outreach, they're, you know, there are children at a young age that are preyed upon who I know could potentially be trafficked or abducted. Um, just keeping my message out there to the parents that are, being served in that um, with that organization is, is is very instrumental. They become 
uh, familiar. They know why why I'm there. Um, it helps them build that conversation in the language that they want to have um, in with their own children. Um, and that's really important. You know, you can have some a police present, and they know exactly what that role is. And then you have me as an advocate because I tell my story, I provide the resources, and it really helps them. So that, that's a way for them to become advocates as well. Uh, there's another organization that's called Loving Arms, and we have 1,400 runaways just in in our uh, state alone. Um, that's that's on the street. These two are children that could be abducted or forced into human trafficking. It, that just to be able to share my story, work with their mission, bring other companies. I mean, bring other advocates, bring other volunteers that can help those missions and and minimize minimize the, the numbers of abductions, minimize the number of kids that could potentially be, be forced into human trafficking. Those are the platforms that I have really have been so successful with, and I'm grateful for them for allowing me to serve alongside of them. Um, Safe House of Hope was another organization um, that actually, again, all of these are street outreach. We, we are meeting people on the street. We're meeting, we're not on the database, we're not in, in someone's art, you know, not a system that's just going to have a number and the statistics. We're talking to the numbers and we're speaking and serving those statistics to remove them from that volume. We will never know, no one will really ever know the true numbers, but believe you me, those numbers are higher than the Department of Justice are actually reflecting. What do you estimate the numbers to be in terms of those that are missing, un- unidentified? I mean, if you, you had to fill out a basic number. I, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't yeah. be able to. Well, let me go against another statistic. If they say that every 40 seconds a child is reported missing in this country, they probably started saying that probably back in the, ninth, in the 1990s. If you see how this epidemic has now soared, that number I bet you has changed. It is not every 40 seconds a child is reported missing. It's probably closer to every 30 seconds. Wow. So so the scope is just overwhelming. And because you're involved in so many of these organizations in in Maryland, are are you – it seems like you're able to relate to so many different – you know, groups and because they're interrelated. Like you didn't really tell. I don't know if you you want to share anything, but um, with regard to your your life started out, and I don't know for how many years with this horrible woman. Um, what the the type of abuse was it physical as well as neglectful as well as emotional? What what can you give us some examples of of what you you dealt with with this woman? So right off the bat, you've got family violence as well as all these other things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I, it um, people really understand the trauma, the devastation that children are put in in this situation. Um, there's no connection. You're unfamiliar. You don't realize it until you are a little. You're older. You don't. You don't get it. But yes, I was mentally abused. Um, I was physically abused. I was raped. I was near death two times. Again, documented that um, I was near death two times with the amount of abuse that I endured in my childhood. Um, physical abuse was so bad that um, if if it was raining outside, I would I would I would get chastised. 
you know, that's how bad. If it was a storm, the punishment increased. Um, the verbal abuse, the same exact way. Even even when I became I, an assumed adult, because at the time I thought I was 18, I didn't know, and asking for my birth certificate met with the, the language and the frustration. And, you know, um, it, it was a horrible lifestyle. Um, you know, it's the stories that you hear, I endured. You know, I don't want to go that far into the details. Right. But I did. One of, I, yeah, one I of totally them, understand. Yeah, yeah. One of them, it, the sexual abuse was so bad, I was hospitalized for four months and I almost died. When you were a small child? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm speechless when it comes to this. Is, um, is, what happened to you from a federal standpoint is when we're talking about identity, is this considered a different form of identity theft? Like, you know, people go on the computer and they, and they, you know, take people's information. Could this be classified under that in some way, Monique? Um, I think, I think it can be, and I'm not going to say it's an unharmful way. I just think people manipulating someone's identity for stealing credit cards and bank account information and, and purchasing cars and clothing and, and trips, that's something totally different versus the traditional way that I'm pretty sure you've heard in the past, um, when people pass away, someone steal the name off of a tombstone or, you know, sure. from a burial site. So I'm I'm associating that type of identity theft um, versus what we're known when it comes to to credit cards and 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 people bank accounts. It's it's mm-hmm. to me it's a it's a little bit um it's a little bit different. A yeah. lot different. I, I wasn't sure, so I thought I would throw it out there. Um, but what what conceivably could this woman be charged with at some point in time when when the police get enough evidence what what are the types of charges in and the incarceration and is that the ultimate goal they know where she is um is is this something where she could be put away for well she's in her 70s right you said put away for well, the rest she's of a- her life I doubt it because the last case that just aired with Mosby, the woman who abducted her just got 18 years. I didn't, that didn't make sense to me. I didn't, I didn't understand how the judicial system only uh, gave her 18 years. So I'm assuming it's case by case by, um, by case. And it, it, at 74, if she got 18 years, then, she might live her life out in prison, but my ultimate goal was it's it's again, I guess I'm speaking from a spiritual point where God has done so much for me. I am so grateful um the forgiveness piece i I don't communicate I never commute after two thousand and nine i I don't talk to her i don't I don't know anything. I just know she's still alive. I know she still resides here in in Maryland um mm-hmm. and you know each entity that I touch like I think. I went public with her this year, you know, um, so I always worked on my own story, my own case, my own paperwork, my own information. I did produce behind the scenes lawfully what I could produce on of her on, on that side. But I went live and I went public with her identity because I felt that, you know what, you're celebrating 
who you are and turning 74, and here I am not knowing who I am and not knowing how old I am, and you're doing that publicly, then let me do this publicly. Yeah. Tell us how you came emotionally, how you came to terms with that. You made this decision, which is, you know, pretty incredible in terms of, well, should I keep this secret or should I put this out there? Because she's not afraid of saying, oh, it's my birthday and I'm 74. So you're like, okay, I'm going to do the same. Was it that kind of process? Well, you know what, as a mother of four and building, you know, my whole self-worth as being their mom um, and having, you know, just integrity, I I, I just didn't feel up until that moment, and I, I looked, something was happening in the, in the moment, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a result-driven person. So in the moment, something was happening, and I glanced at the calendar, and at that moment, I saw her, the birth date. And she was celebrating 74. And I had pictures of her. I always had two pictures of her. And it just, in that moment, I picked up my phone and I went to social media and she's here. And again, it it, it was a two-part process. One, I was saying to her directly that I've given you enough time. I respected, you know, my spiritual growth and, and forgiving you and you have no respect to my children and my life. I've, I've hindered every process I could no more. So I posted the picture of her and all of her information on all of my social media platforms. That was one piece. And the, the, the goal was maybe it would have just sparked something in her to come to, to my kids or to myself and say, I apologize or, you know, this is what happened. You know, I don't even know what story this woman could possibly tell me. Or someone in relation to her, like a, a friend of hers, it could have sparked something to them to say, oh, my God, you know, any anything, but nothing came out of it. But that you can have, felt, So nothing came out of that process? She didn't respond? Nobody else came forward? Well, no, people were calling me. <laughs> oh. People were, yeah, people were definitely calling me. But everyone knows the story. I mean, her, her family knows, everyone knows. Let me tell you how blessed again I am. Her biological brother, who shared the same mother and father, went to the police department with me. I would not be in the name is registry without having proof that she and I's DNA does not match. So she's saying on these fake oh. documentations that she's my biological mother. In order mm-hmm. for me to acquire the information I have, her brother, who shares the same mother and father, went mm-hmm. to NamUs and we did the swab and it showed that there's 99.9999 that we are not related. There's no DNA match at all. That's that's inc- that's remarkable that that her brother did that for you as as a as a kind gesture. Is that how it transpired? He was totally or- shocked. He was when he I wrote my book. I I said my kids are underage. I could die at any minute. Tomorrow is not promised. I wrote the book in 2009 and released it in 2011. I said I needed the world to embrace my kids. There is no grandmother. There's no grandfather. There's no aunt. I would leave my kids on this earth by themselves, other than on their father's side. But my kids would not have a mom. You can't go to a family tree and and have an aunt or somebody to take care of my kids. I needed someone strong enough. But if the world knew that this woman wasn't my mother and my kids could have some kind of support with trying to get benefits for themselves or trying to keep the homes that I had for them. 
I needed to do that. And he read the book, and he discovered, and he goes, oh, my God, all of this happened to you right under my radar, and I had no clue. That That's, uh, wow, I just am speechless when I, I'm, I'm thinking of that moment in, in my mind, and that must have been a real turning point for you. And I do want to I do want to talk a little bit about our, but we have like 15 minutes left. Uh, I wish we had another hour, but perhaps we can do a, a follow-up show that we, you know, touched upon off air. But what I wanted to know is, so let's talk about the positive, uh, more positive in, in regard to, like, how did you meet your husband and, you know, and you did get married, so you do have that identity and you are a mom. So how did that all transpire at what point in your life? And, you know, them, them dealing with that and, you know, the, the jobs that you do have, the, um, tell, us, tell us about that part of the backstory. Well, the good part about um, some of the Commonwealth states don't require a birth certificate <laughs> to, get, to get married. Oh, to so get you married, know, we, you mean, exactly. So that's the great part about like, when you want to get something done, there is a way. If you have a will, there is definitely a way to get something done. That's why I'm not giving up hope on my family, on my identity. But you don't have to have one in the state of Virginia um, to get married. And that's what uh, what happened with with that purchasing homes. Um, you don't have to have a birth certificate to buy um, to buy a home. It's just what happens afterwards when you're building out the will and doing your planning. You have to be careful. But now that my kids are of age, just um, I'm I've given the homes to my kids while I'm alive. So that way, if I die, they don't have to prove that. So those are the success stories that God has given me an opportunity to live long enough that my children are adults, and now I can actually put. Um, the things that they would inherit in their name now, which is which is awesome because I get to help them do that. The other part is I'm known in Merlin, like I'm missing in Merlin, so everyone knows my story, and I know the lives that I'm changing, the impact that I'm making with every single outreach that we do. I'm constantly getting parents to say, because of your story, I'm doing better with my children. I'll get a daycare center that will do a mommy and me session on how to not have your child go abducted, what are the safety techniques. The entire state of Merlin, we actually did the first. I went to the police department, and they gave me a yes at the state level. I also went to the National Center of Exploited Children. They gave me a yes. And NamUs, which is a registry for unidentified people, gave me a yes. We had all three of those entities come together at the Merlin headquarters on May 5th. That gave our this entire, year, you just had that, right? Yeah. You just had that. It gave the entire state to show people, to show these predators that we're trying to stay ahead of them, that we're trying to stay in the game to let them know that we are here to battle. We're here to, you know, to fight these new challenges with the cell phones. It's, it's not the old way of abducting children. Like social media is taking these kids because now what they can do with the phone just as quick as they can do with their car is what's happening. But Merlin pulled together that resource. So we had preventative measures there by the National Center of Exploited Children. We had NamUs actually had families come in with missing loved ones for years, not even realize that if they gave their DNA, possibly bring closure to identifying maybe. That's not always the good outcome that you want to hear, but you bring closure to a family who is searching if that DNA matches. It's, it's, 
it was such an amazing thing. It was. I have the flyer was, right in front of me, Monique, and it says, "Can I read it? This is a free event and open to the public. Enter information into the National Missing Unidentified Person System. Law enforcement professionals to collect cheap swab for entry into DNA database. Collect." Uh, connect with law enforcement and other families. What to bring to the event? ID photos of the missing persons, x-rays, dental or medical records, and other um, identifying documents. Attendance by two biologically related family members of the missing person to provide DNA samples now, uh, or and uh, police reports. So that's what people, um, any, would it, was it any one of the above they should bring or as many of those in, in that list? Well, it's always more the merrier. So as many right. documentation that you can bring and produce to help build your case or build, you know, your profile inside of any of the entities, which is really important to have, um, and that is the goal. Um, and it did open up the mindset to show the community, no one really thinks about those entities when their loved one goes missing. You may think about the National Center of Exploited Children, but you don't think about the State uh, Human Trafficking Task Force, who also was there, and you don't think about NamUs. Who wants to go to the morgue? No one. That's probably the last one. I'll give you a quick example of you have a, a, a college child go missing, let's say, and, and they came to Maryland from Texas. You come every year, five years in a row, and you come to Maryland at the university where your child went to school, and you're putting up flyers and the information, please call authorities, here's my information, and you go to Pizza Hut because you know that your child went to Pizza Hut. You put the flyers up, only saturating the areas that you know they were last seen. You never go to the morgue. So that event showed people that there are resources that are out there that can help that we don't really think of. So it put them out in their minutes. That That's true. We did have a missing person, uh, family member from the Q Center, um, that talked about how she was able to um, really garner a lot of community resources. And, Monique, she actually developed a one-to-one friendship with, with the coroner, um, and they actually came and did a missing person's event, and they brought big graphics of other people missing and so you can do those things that but you have to like think outside of the box right and a lot of people don't that's the goal you have to always think outside of the box and like i said the main focus as i move forward with looking with my identity any information that i have that i'm learning in my process i definitely share it out that is the the, the biggest reward that's actually happening is is that, you know, my identity of looking for an identity is becoming an identity. So I'm very grateful. And, I, I again, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story with you and your uh, supporters. Well, it's our pleasure. Can, can we talk a little bit um, in our remaining minutes about about the development of your book and your book events and, and how that's going? And we really do want to be able to share contact information and any any other resources that you would like to get out there that would help you and others. Tell us oh, about well, the your book. book. Okay, well, the book, <laughs> thank you. Well, the book, again, is called I Am the Ancestor Before I Die. I must share my story, and again, it was just to build um, a platform and to be a voice in the event that something um, happened to me, but I have successfully um, have raised and donated 100% of about a little over $40,000 to the entities that I shared with you earlier, um, the Keep Awareness campaigns, 
um, out there and going. So I think um, on the moving forward, my goal is, is is individuals like yourself just sharing with people that we're not dead. All missing children are not dead. We're here. So the goal now is to let more people know that there are thousands of missing children out there who have survived and we're here and actually thriving and trying to meet, you know, our families on the other end. And that's, that's really important. As long as I'm able to still be able to do that and work with the organizations, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if there's someone listening out there and ha- this is their first exposure and they may be um, in a similar situation to you, is there a um, way to tell them how to start doing what you're doing or kind of like a one-stop shopping resource? Um, wh- what would you advise people who are listening to this and saying, hey, um, I'm like Monique, what, what do I need to do? Well, the first thing is to go to all of the – build a portfolio for yourself. Like, you would definitely get, like, a journal. And I definitely journaled everything. I know names, places, people that I spoke with over the years. But start recording. Go to the entities that can support you by recording. They may not take all of your information. So if there's a police report, get the police report. If you know that you're missing, the National Center is Missing School of Children are phenomenal. They will take your information. You just have to make sure that you're producing the right documentation. So you're basically building your own portfolio. So as you're presenting it, you'll have all of your facts right there in front of you. That would, in the beginning, I was so discombobulated. I was shattered. I was shattered. I was torn. Like, I could not believe that, you know, the whole world was spinning and, and I was coming apart. I, I, was, I, if, I was probably so stressed that I was suicidal when it first mm-hmm. first happened. And it wasn't for my kids and me reminding myself that I have to, you know, keep my mind focused for them. But if anyone finds that they're in that, that situation, and that's what happened with cases, is that as people are becoming adults, they're, they can take control of applying their own self and not be the victim. They don't sit and wait. They take action and say, what do I have to do? Let me go to the Department of Social Services. I, I got a card. Let me see what was filled out. Give me the archive. Go into the dungeon, dust off the boxes. And it took that in, in one of my cases. It literally took somebody going through a dungeon, dusting off the box for me to get it. But, you know, you have to, to pull that information together. And then you, you have to basically become your advocate. You have to advocate for yourself. No one's going to do it. And that's going to be what's going to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. Do you... um? Do you know offhand how many states you were referring to earlier um, do not require a birth certificate to kind of carry on with other life milestones? Is you know is it like a handful as compared to the fifty states? Um, I don't know. I, I, that's, that that was a tough question. That was off the cuff. I didn't. I wouldn't even know. I didn't even think of that. I guess at that particular time it was me getting married in the moment, and it was ironic that Virginia was a Commonwealth state, so I'm pretty sure if they do a Google search on Commonwealth states, it'll be it'll so the pop and Massachusetts is one as well, and I, I don't think it's my state, but, but, <laughs> but <laughs> so it's yeah. like all of you, if you want to carry on with life while you're trying to discover who you are, you need to move to Commonwealth states, perhaps. I don't know. Exactly. Right? I don't know. I, so I'm sort of in the last three minutes or so throw it over to you because you always 
um, have some good um, insight at listening to all of this. And do, do you have other questions perhaps to Monique uh, before we share contact information? Sure. I, I, you know, this is just another fantastic story and glad that you've come out the other end as, as well as you have. And I think my, my question is, how many people have you run into over the course of time that are in the same situation as you are? Not a one. So when you said you heard a two, when it's called it over, I need that person's information. No. Yes. <laughs> as, as, <laughs> no, actually, um, I have not met not one single solid. I'm always I read the stories after um the identity has been met. I've never met anyone while there was still um, in process on on this end, I know of mothers or I know of fathers and family members looking for someone who is missing, but not the victim or the the person themselves that mm-hmm. that the victim is looking for their their biological people or family. Right. Yeah, well, looks like I said at the opening, I think there are probably a lot more out there who um, who are in this situation and maybe don't even realize it and yeah. don't know what the first step to take is, or they could have been so emotionally and, and psychologically impacted by their situation that they just don't care. And that's a sad, I sad agree. place to be. It is. It is. It's a sad place to be. And it's just like I said, with the last case, the young lady was stolen at birth. She's been identified. She's had an opportunity to go back with her biological mother, and it's so sad because now the biological mother has lost her twice because the bond is not there. She does not wish to be connected or reunited with the mother. Um, oh, so it's it, it, yeah, it's 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 really sad. It's 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 so each case is so. Um, I, I'm just grateful again that God freed me mentally and spiritually, like as a child. Um, because I, I I look at what happened to me and I, I I people tell me all the time like if it was me I would be I would be just no more good so but all of my con- contact information because I really don't have a name I always love saying that part is because I name myself because of my identity known as Monique so on all my social media platforms um, I can be found um, known as Monique on Instagram Facebook Twitter. Um, yeah, that's uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So they're um, and we're working with some new people now, some uh, detectives. My DNA is in ancestors.com. I haven't had any hits. I have some six and seven cousins, but you know it's like a hitting a, a blank, you know, in the dark. Um, but I'm still in there two years uh, in hopes of connecting with um, with them. So I'm open to other resources to do my search, and I'm willing to help out with some information for any other person that's interested. Well, uh, we keep us on your radar because we, we would like to be able to help. And if you'd like to do another show and bring some other professionals on. And I'm just wondering, you know, which is, which is more important, to have your identity on paper with your social security, uh, a real social security number, or the emotional aspect? And I'm thinking the emotional aspect to just know, even if the per- your parents aren't in that place. I don't know, Monique, but... That just crossed my mind. You know, both are very important. So we are so um, so glad that, that you have spent this hour with us, and I hope that we'll, 
We'll keep connected here, and maybe we can plan something in the future. Keep doing your good works, and you are truly a shero and very resilient. So thank you again, and uh, we will be sure to share this podcast. And the best of luck to you. I know that other good things is going are going to happen in your life because you keep persevering, and that's what life is about, is it not? And thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and and, and congratulations to your um, most recent success story too. Obviously, you put in a lot of work into the community, and everyone um, just doing what they can is is an amazing. Just keeping the love out there and out into the universe. But thank you, ladies. You're you're you are so welcome. So with that, we are going to close out this edition of Shattered Wise Radio, part of the Inside Lens Network. Please do be sure to share this podcast and listen to our many other hundreds of podcasts and be with us next time. Thank you so much, Monique. Thank you, Delilah. Thank and you. And we'll see you next time. Take care and be safe. Bye bye. Bye bye.